www.ghanimedia.com You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com
listening again and welcome back to Morph Mom Moments. Uh, for those of you who are, who were with us the first hour from six to seven, thank you for staying with us. And for those of you joining us now, um, it's an honor to have an amazing guest on tonight, Ann Shoket. I am thrilled to be sitting here with you. It's our second hour of the show tonight and it's going to be a great hour of radio. Um, again, for those of you just joining in, it's Morph Mom Moments and a very brief, uh, explanation, I promise. My name is Kathleen Smith. I'm the founder of Morph Mom, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M. Uh, previously a prosecutor many, many, many decades ago. Um, stopped when I had my second of three kids. 14 years later, thought I could go back. Wasn't going to happen. Had to figure out what to do. No idea what to do. Um, no contacts, no confidence, no nothing. <laughs> I was like, well, now what? So I figured, you know what I can do? I can talk and I can interview. So I decided I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to go out, I'm going to travel the country, and I'm going to find women who have done whatever it is that they are doing, something they may have started fresh, something they may never have stopped doing, but something that could help others to find a road or find a lead as to what they could pursue. So I began about four years ago interviewing women across the country. I share their stories on my site, morphmom.com. Again, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. And after about a year of doing that, it began to grow. The stories were too amazing and needed to be told in different ways. So I began to write for Huffington Post, and I shared the stories there as well. I also host cocktail parties around the country, and we either um, feature one morph mom or a group of morph moms or a cause that we all support or want to back up. We've done a lot of military events in D.C. We've done them all over the country. And if there is something you would be interested out there in an event that you would like me to come and do, and again, I'll travel anywhere as long as it will help others, um, contact me at morphmom.com and we can look into it. And since then, we've also started classes, and this is all on the website. And there, I, classes, it sounds a little bit too official. We've started sort of groups where we get together and try and help people figure out where they want to go and what they want to do. And now finally, um, we've got the radio show. And it's so much fun. And the best part about the radio show is I get to sit again and speak with amazing women as Anne Shokit is here tonight with me. Um, uh, and again, before I, without further ado, I would like to introduce Anne and stop talking about myself and Morph Mom <laughs> and get to the important part of the show. Um, for those of you interested in calling in tonight, the number is 212-631-7553. Um, now, as again... Anne Shoket, author of The Big Life, which is coming out on March 14th, but can be pre-ordered on Amazon. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. She's a millennial thought um, leader. She's the former editor-in-chief of Seventeen Magazine. She's a TV personality of many, many shows, including and not limited to Good Morning America, The View, CNN, and I could go on and on forever. And basically, she's in the forefront discussing the national conversation of and for millennial women and really giving millennial women or any woman the strength to walk into any room and to own it. Um, and welcome. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining Thank me Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome. So fun. I wish everybody could see what we were doing here. Like, <laughs> I've got a bowl of starlight mints and a glass of wine and a box of tissues in case we get around to the crying, I'm guessing, right? Um, sure. Yeah. And I have my phone here, which I've just tweeted out the phone number. Um, and uh, that's great. I love it here. This is so fantastic. I'm thrilled. Oh, I'm so happy. It's a pretty relaxed atmosphere here at Morph Mom Moments. Yeah, great. With drink in hand, we will discuss anything and we take it where it leads us. I, you know, honestly, I'm 
wine is a really important piece of the big life. So, so cheers to you and cheers to everybody out there listening. Oh, I'm so excited. So, Anne, tell us about yourself and sort of the journey to how you got to where you are today. Well, I'm going to tell you, let's see, but maybe I'll back, we'll back into some of the deep, the deep story a little later, but the, but the, the lead up to the big life, right? The big life is, um, is sort of front of mind. It's all I think about these days. The book is coming out in, um, you know, the beginning of March and it has been a two year journey of writing this book. Um, I was the editor in chief of 17 magazine for, for seven, almost eight years. And when I left 17, I knew very clearly that I still had something to say to young women about the next stage of their life, right? We'd had all these deep, important, emotional conversations about how you grow into who you're meant to be as a teenager. And that does not stop when you're 20 years old and you go off to college, right? It's not, it's like all of a sudden you frankly need those kinds of conversations that we had even more. And I knew I had something to say to the generation of young women who had grown up with me. And so um, I was like, great, I'll write a book and I'll just write it down. Well, just I say things. I talk about <laughs> stuff. I have, a, I have a point of view. I'll just write it down. And I, th- I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. There's some things here that I just don't know. And so I was like, well, I know. I'll invite a couple of young women over to my house. We, I, I never get to talk about sex and relationships. We didn't talk about that a lot at 17. I said – um, I'm going to invite a couple of young women over to my house for dinner and um, we'll talk about it. So it started like this. I invited one woman and I said, invite a friend of a friend of a friend and um, come to my house and, and we'll have pizza and wine. And so she did. And it's around my dining room table, right? There's these six women around my dining room table. We had uh, we had a bunch of bottles of rosé and frozen pizza. Not what, fancy pizza, frozen pizza. What was the age group? So these were women in their mid-20s. They were 20. This, this dinner was um, 24, 26, 32, sort of, you know, mid to late 30s, and uh, mid to late 20s. And so um, the conversation that night started out, yes, we talked about we talked about men and we talked about sex, but we also talked about ambition and about fears and about the things that keep you up at three o'clock in the morning and what were all the barriers to their success and what had they dreamt they were going to be when they were 16 years old looking out of their bedroom window and what did their life look like now compared to that dream. And the conversation got really deep and it was hours, right? We were there for hours. The one young woman at this first dinner said, look, I have a great job. I've been promoted. I'm making all the money that I want in the world. When is the partner part of my life going to fall into place? Another young woman, super ambitious, said that um, when she uh, she was struggling so hard at work, she was hustling, hustling, hustling so hard at work that an eating disorder that she'd had as a teenager had come back in her 20s. I didn't actually know that was a thing. I didn't know. I figure I, you know, I knew a lot about eating disorders, but I didn't know they could come back. And, you know, we had, we had very emotional conversations. And after dinner was over, I went downstairs and to see my husband. And I said, that was amazing. I want to do it again. And so this was the beginning of a series of dinners and the dinners really took on a life of their own. Uh, in the course of – and they became the backbone of the book. 
I call them the badass babes dinners because these are the women that you want to be. They were strong and confident and rule breaking and they invite you into their orbit. And we had, I've now had, I've probably had 20, 25 dinners and um, the, the conversations have been amazing. That's unbelievable. And so, and, and, it's not just it's women of all ages, right? It's there. I've had women as young as twenty one. I've had women into their thirties. Um, they and they've sort of come together around an idea. That I had a group of women who were in their first jobs. I had a group of women who were superstars. I had a group of women who were social social entrepreneurs. I had a group of women who were young moms. Uh, you know, there were the finance chicks. Um, there were the media superstars. There have been. I had a couple of dinners with men, frankly, um, and so. The dinners really informed the conversation. And that was what I wanted from the very moment that I started thinking about what this book should be. I knew it needed to be a conversation. And so these conversations around my dinner table really um, have really become, have informed the book and have informed my advice. So when did you decide or how did you start then transforming before I go further, I want to introduce our our most recent guest who just joined us tonight, Didi DeBartlow, who's the owner and president of DeBartlow & Company, a book publicity and marketing. Welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you for so joining nice us. I call her a rock star. She's like a rock star. <laughs> so nice. so you're the badass of the badass babes. Thank you. I know. This is a pretty good group of badass babes right now. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> But so, um, Dee Dee, so we were just talking about how the book came to be and through these conversations with these various women representing all different facets and gamuts of life and men. Um, when did Mostly you start women. translating these conversations into the book and how did you decide what the direction of the book was going to take based upon these conversations? You know, the conversations were so meaningful and the women were so candid with me. We really talked about, uh, we talked about things that, um, stunned me and it stunned me their their vulnerability and their candor and so as I was putting the pieces of my advice together and the things that I know young women want to hear I started to develop what became almost like a series of questions right I asked I ended up asking like the same 10 questions 15 questions at every dinner and I always start with the same thing if I could solve any problem for you what would it be and that kind of question is the ultimate test, right? What is the problem that you can't figure out how to solve on your own? And I'm not saying I can solve it, but if I had a magic wand and I could solve this problem for you, what would it be? And so it turns out, you know, dozens of dinners later, hundreds of women later, there's not that many problems that these young women wanted solved. It came down to maybe like five or six problems. How do I find a career that is also my passion? How do I find a squad of people who will support me in this dream? Um, how do I get respect from my boss who thinks I'm a lazy, entitled millennial? Uh, how do I find a partner who will respect and honor my ambition? And that's about it, right? There's not a whole lot. Of, there weren't a whole lot of other things that were keeping these women up at, at four o'clock in the morning. Those, that's what they wanted me to help solve. So that became the framework for the book. Those are the, those are the questions that we answer in the book. And how did you go about looking for those answers? Like, what did you do? I mean, frankly, a lot of it came from the women around my table, right? I'm interested in what they have to say in the ways that they think. The way that young women think is a revolution. It's, it is so much different than the, than the way I thought as I was coming up in the world, although I try very hard 
to be as young and flexible and open-minded, game-changing, rule-breaking as millennial women are these days. Um, and I really wanted them to be the experts in a lot of ways. Now, I'm there as someone who has, who has grown up with them, right? That we've been talking before I was editor-in-chief of Seventeen Magazine. I was one of the founding editors of Cosmo Girl Magazine. And so here, that's back 15 years, the young women who used to read what I was writing in Cosmo Girl are now in their 30s. The women who were reading me in 17 are now in their 20s. And so um, I grew up with them, and I have some perspective on how the world works that they needed to hear. And that was my role in the book. Was there anything, what we talked about, you know, one of the things being, I guess, the reoccurring um, eating disorders. But was there anything else that really stuck out or, or really struck you that you didn't expect them to say? You know, it's so easy to pinpoint the superstars, the super ambitious young women, right? We celebrate them in all sorts of media. You and you know who they are, right? You know these women who are who are like the bright and shining lights. And some of those women are in the book. But what I was just as surprised by were the women who really didn't know exactly where they were going and exactly what they wanted to do. And yet they had this feeling that they wanted something big and something different. And they didn't know what it was and they didn't know how to get it and they didn't they couldn't exactly like put a plan together for themselves, right? They were not these bright and shining stars, but they still knew that they wanted something meaningful and big in their life and they wanted to make their mark. And I just thought that I think that's really special, right? No one wants a small life. No one wants to like come home and tip cat food into a little bowl and like sit down with like leftover Chinese and binge watch Netflix, right? Everybody wants to be engaged and to have, um, you know, to have a meaning in their work and to have a side project that matters to them and to be busy and full and to, and to go out and meet people who's, who get excited by your ideas, right? Everybody wants that. Did you did you see a sort of like an underlying confidence in these girls, these women? And I'm curious, I have an almost 21-year-old daughter, and I, I'm with her friends all the time, and I see this confidence in them that I don't think I had decades and decades ago. I think, or I don't know if I did or I never recognized it, but when I look at these younger women, I, I'm just curious to see if you felt that too, that there's a confidence that maybe wasn't there before. I think I think there's a lot of bravado right I think there's a lot of um I can do it yeah sure I'll figure it out but the but I I think a lot of that is is on the surface right I think that there are some really deep um I don't want to say insecurities because that doesn't it doesn't that sounds so um it sounds like I'm undermining them but there's there are mo there are places where they they feel vulnerable um and that's where the that's where it gets interesting, right? Those those moments. One of the things that I was so stunned by: these are young women who, um, if you listen to any of their millennial bosses, they are not afraid to like um, any of their any of their Gen X or or baby boomer bosses. They're not afraid to like walk in and ask for a raise or demand a, a demand a new title. And yet, um, when it comes to their personal lives, they were less able to um, be as game-changing and as rule-breaking. They felt like they had to play by somebody else's rules. And frankly, they felt like the men were setting the rules of when and how and what, and that they, they weren't able to um, 
ask for what they wanted, right? In the same way that they're able to ask for what they want in work. Do you think social media plays a role in that with them? Because, you know, with us growing up, that was never an issue. But with them, it defines or it's sort of... You know, you watch social media and you, you begin to believe that's a reality. Well, there is no dating. Happening. There is no dating without Tinder. It just doesn't exist. Even at one of the dinners, one of the women sort of whipped out her phone and started showing me like all of her, all of the Tinder dates. Right. And then she started texting with some guy that she was that she'd been seeing. And there, so there is no dating without Tinder. And it's um, it's frankly soul sucking. Right. These women look at it like it's their job. They say, I have to like, go home and do my swipes. And like, that's a job. Right? It seems exhausting. And yet at the same time, you want to say to them, you put as much effort into your relationship that you put into your job and you're likely to see real results, right? Rather than the kind of um, woe is me or like throwing up your hands that they're that they really want um, that if you look at it like it's a job, you will see the same kind of results. So so you're right. It is a job. It's not and it's not. It's not that fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a sense they were having a lot of fun with the dating. That didn't seem like a good time. It's just so different. It's such it's a different world, I guess, right? And having not had that growing up, it's so odd. Like when I see the girls coming, and it, it's so foreign to me. I almost like a different language. I don't understand even what they're talking about half the time at all. Yeah. I mean, it, look, it, the rules of relationships are changed, right? And it's even... Um, I mean, even the rules of sex, right? They're having a lot of sex and they're not agonizing about it. And they're not really interested in the intricacies or the how-to. And <laughs> they just, the, the, I frankly, we say that success is the new sex. That's what they're interested in the intricacies of. How do I get ahead? How can I ask for a raise? What do I need to know? What should I wear? What meetings should I be at? What networking groups do I need to be a part of? What's so fascinating to me, and when I met Anne the first time, um, months ago at a ne- at kind of a networking at, event. a networking event yeah. and it was so funny so we were talking about this and talking about this these millennial girls women going through this but it's so similar ironically to what I do with morph mom because it's these women in very much a similar situation like what do I wear how do you go to an interview what do you say what would I what do I put on a resume it's just so fascinating when you kind of look at it from that perspective these 20 plus going into it, and then again, 40 plus, 50 plus, going into it again at the same time from such a different perspective. Right. The world is changing for everyone. I mean, frankly, millennial women are leading that change, but the world is changing for everyone, and we all want to know what the rules are and how do we make it work. And nobody wants to think that you're making it up as you go along. But the piece of, the the thing that I think is different for this generation of young women than when you and I used to go to those awful networking events, right, where we had to, like, balance <laughs> some, like, some, like, poured like warm glass of Chardonnay in one hand and a stack of business cards in the other and like walk around the room and try and meet people with some kind of strange like whatever some you know introduce people with relevant with relevant talking points the difference for this generation of young women is that they are creating these incredibly warm sisterhoods right and so I had a series of dinners and I called them the badass babes and they they were in some ways a, a connection, a way for women to network or to make connections with each other. But each of the women around my table also had their own individual groups, right? The the dinners that they went to or the cocktails or the media organizations that they were connected to. And that's really different, 
right? That these are small groups of women who want to help each other succeed, that the, that they're sort of taking the air out of that competitiveness that, that frankly I felt, right? That you felt, I'm sure. And which is not to say that it's all like sunshine and roses. It's not. But these are women who are dedicated to helping each other succeed and to sharing contacts and sharing resources and making introductions. And that's really inspiring. Because I think now, you know, decades ago, and I hate saying that about myself. Oh, God, I do too. It's so so depressing. But decades ago, you'd walk into a room and there wasn't that camaraderie. Because you were, that wasn't really the, the atmosphere back then. I got out of law school and it was sort of like, oh God, I can't even get an interview with anybody. So it, it was just, it was much more, you know, you're on your own on this. I felt like I, I wrote in the book and I remember feeling this so vividly is that like, it's that one girl over there and she's got the cookies and you're starving to death, right? And you'll take any crumb she has because you think that she has the key to introducing you to people. And that's an awful feeling, right? You want to like, you want to like stab that chick in the back for her cookies. <laughs> and yet like that's, that was the feeling that was engendered, right? That, that there was, that there was only room for one woman and um, you didn't want to make room for anybody else. And that's just not the, it's just not the feeling that's happening among this generation of young women. They don't see that. They don't see that kind of competitive. They don't see the scarcity, right? They see opportunities. They just want to know how to get their hands on it. And it's so encouraging that they see opportunity by, I think they, they realize that if you help somebody else, it does help you in the long run too. Whereas maybe years and years ago, that wasn't necessarily what was the, the driving force behind this like you said when you went to these networking events it was like you know get through and talk to as many people as you can and do it and get your name out there and and now i don't think it's it's as competitive when you walk into these events you know um so every year i make i pick a word as my mantra and it's like we are like in the thick of um everybody's making resolutions and although everybody i think resolutions are over i hear everybody this week is setting intentions right or setting goals and intentions that's what's been going on i failed my resolution yeah that's what's happening in my space i lasted three days yeah i've not been to the gym resolution to try and go to the gym but it's just not gonna happen well you just i mean you could you should be generous with yourself it could happen I'm going to have an intention now. That's it, right. Have an intention. Actually, that's a pretty good resolution. You're not saying like, I want to lose 20 pounds or you're not like saying something. You just want to go to the gym. My resolution is now my intention to go to the gym at some point. Great. That's a good (laughs) one. I feel so much lighter now. (laughs) Um, Last year, um, I was doing a lot of networking, right? Or the year before, I'd been doing a lot of networking. And last year, I chose for my word deeper because I wanted to stop having... Frankly, I just wanted to have, I wanted to stay home once in a while. And I wanted to have a reason to go deeper with a couple of important people. Not all professional people. A lot of them were personal. And frankly, like going deeper was about developing personal relationships with people whom I have professional people. I had coffee with a friend the other day. I call her a friend, but we really only know each other in business. And I said to her, you and I have been having coffee once a year for 15 years and that's an amazing like that's an amazing thing like we actually start by saying like hi how are you how are your kids what's going on and what can i do for you right how can i help you what what cooking and we do and and we trade contacts and trade advice um uh 
in any case, so I so this idea of the surfacey relationships and going deeper, I was really inspired by the young women that I was meeting and the ways in which they had this kind of sisterhood around them. And it was something that at 44, I felt I didn't have with my peers necessarily. We, I didn't, I don't think I felt I had a sisterhood. So I created one, right? I really purposefully put together, I reached out and put together my chicks who are my squad, right? Who are the, who are the women that I can rely on and how can I help them? Right. That's, it has to be a give and take. Um, so that was last year. This year, I just, um, I just today revealed my word of the year, and this I was very exciting. It's yeah, our Lord's yeah. Mom Moments Radio Show. Yeah. yeah, I haven't even talked about it yet. And it, but to be, I actually almost didn't do it. Like I thought about it, and I didn't have a word. And then I would write down things at four o'clock in the morning, and like not, I'm I'm up at four o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, this is what I'm thinking about is what is my word, and I just couldn't get around to like what I thought the word should be, and. And then I was like, well, I just won't do, I won't write my newsletter this week. It's fine. Nobody's looking for it. It's the first week of the year. I came up with like a million reasons not to do it. And then like, I think I don't, I don't exactly know when it happened. I think there was like a sweatpants moment where I was like, enough with the sweatpants. Like, this is your year to go big. And I, and I had dismissed the idea that big was my word because it's in the title of my book and it seemed so like, um, self-referential in a way that I just like want to roll my eyes at myself for being but I actually felt like it was I thought I thought to myself I'm really doing myself a disservice I'm doing poor Dee Dee DeBartlow a disservice if I don't if I don't step into this moment and and let it be big right the, if I if I want to feel small or say like, oh, no, don't. It's not a big deal. Oh, it's just a it's just a book. It's not a big deal. It's not like I worked for two years on it. <laughs> or if I if I, you know, if when opportunities, big opportunities come up, turn them down or come up with some reason to diminish them because I'm afraid of them. Right. All this stuff is scary and big and hard. And new. I ran a, a legendary brand for eight years and yet writing a book under my own name is like a big scary thing to do so um big is the thing i need to remind myself this year to keep myself on track and to keep myself looking for the new opportunities and keep myself thinking and big feeling big feeling big i think is the is the most important piece and it's something frankly that i saw in these young women too right like it's hard it's do you find it's hard to feel big and to step into like the step into the meaning of what you do but i think big also is a very positive thing as well it doesn't mean this self pretentious ego maniac thing i think big means i'm gonna look out for everybody like i'm big enough in this situation that i'm gonna be the big person and i'm gonna i'm gonna accept what comes to me but i'm also looking out for others and i'm gonna extend it to them as well it's a big umbrella right? yeah, yeah that's it's a big what i umbrella. think so i actually think it's an incredibly positive and supportive message to give, especially to millennials, saying, yeah, it's big. It's big for me, and it's big for all of us right. all under this. So I think it's a phenomenal message. And I was reading in, in something, too, where you were saying trying to give millennials the definition of success and empowerment. And I think that big is such an – it just brings us all together as well. And it comes back to this idea. Nobody wants to feel small, right? It's uncomfortable. And the frankly – so many people want to make you feel small, right? And the world makes to make you feel small. And the, the mountains that you have to climb to be successful make you feel small 
and and so I need and which is not to say I'm not going to feel small, but I'm gonna I'm gonna remind myself there's a big opportunity. Right, that's my word. Big. Please borrow it. Please take it. <laughs> Have a word. I love this word, Didi. What do you think? It's I think pretty- it's perfect. I think. I think it's perfect, and I think it really sums up who you are. You're a big personality, a big spirit, and you have big ideas. Thank you. Not jazz hands big. <laughs> Not jazz, right. Exactly. Wait a minute. I love a good jazz hand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not that kind of big. It's right. It's exactly you're right, though. It's not like put the spotlight on me, big. It's big in a big feeling, vision, right? A vision. Big, yeah. That's the, that's the idea, right? And I think Thank accepting you. that you can achieve that allows you to to resonate that with others. That I can achieve it, you can achieve it. There's nothing wrong with striving for that, right? Right. There's nothing wrong with wanting what exactly what you want. That's right. a big thing we need to remember, right? That I keep I, that. Part of my message is you deserve your dreams. I, there's, there. It was so often that um, I would see these young women in around my dining room table, and they would say, "Well, why me? Like, why should I get that job? Why should I have that love? Why am I worthy of that?" And that's a terrible feeling, right? To think that you don't deserve the thing you've been dreaming of since you were 16 years old, looking out of your bedroom window. And yet they doubted themselves. And so that really is, that's an important piece of the message here is that you deserve your dreams. You are worth it. Can I steal that for Morph Mom? Yes. <laughs> Can the we big, aim big, too? Yes. Like, this is, it's 100%. It's not just millennial women, right? This is women of all ages. We all struggle with this idea it's of, of right. feeling. And the dream gets harder as older you get and yeah. the more experienced you get and the more demands there are in your life, family and all, and life, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. That it gets harder to feel like you deserve your dreams. Frankly, you want to say like your kids deserve it. I'll just do it all for my kids, right? But like it, you have to be a human. You have to, you have to have dreams. And again, that message, right, is for our kids. So if we can dream big, so can they. I think it like sends this excellent message to everybody. That's why I think it's actually a really, really positive word. I, I love, I love that it was announced on Morph Mom Moments tonight. Yeah. And I love yeah. the word. Yes. Love the idea and the goal and the drive. And I'm I'm gonna do it too. Oh good. Dream big this year. I am oh, too. And good. I'm with you. Good, good. I'm with good. you on the path to big. Good. It's Thank good. you. Yes, right? I need some I need some peeps on my path. Yeah. I'm a, I'd like to be a badass babe. <laughs> yes, you're in. You Done. already are. You are a badass. Babe. You already are Kathleen. Well <laughs> I hope. Um so I have I have a question for you. So now and so Dee Dee and Anna but, working together on, on this book and the millennial group. And Anne came from 17 magazine with, with a younger generation. And what difference do you see between the, you know, the viewership from 17, that younger teen group, as opposed to the millennial group that you've been dealing with? Well, the, the women I'm talking to are the women that grew up with me. Right. And the, and so, but these seeds of change were planted really young, right? And it's frankly, I can almost like put my finger on the tipping point moment within the recession when it happened, right? The recession is what f- is what molded millennials. And I became editor in chief in 2007. So if I can take you back to 2007 <laughs> in yes, your mind, <laughs> but like think about it, right? Okay, 
It was the year of the hills, right? Lauren Conrad in her uh, Mercedes SUV with her gorgeous blonde hair driving around uh, Laguna Beach, right? And with like her really handsome boyfriend, Brody Jenner. And um, they would go and have, they. she would go, she had her job at Teen Vogue, her job in quote marks, her job at Teen Vogue. And then they would go to Ledoux and drink champagne at night. And then she would have drama with her girlfriends and they would eat big salads and drink iced tea and like that and talk about and like have the new Louis Vuitton Mirakami bag. Right. And and so that was 2007 and life was good. And everybody wanted that dream. Everybody wanted to be blonde in the Mercedes SUV driving around with their hot boyfriend. Fine. When I got to 17, I repositioned the content to be it's fun to be 17 and it was right money was flowing affluence blonde tan the works and yet then fast forward recession happened and instead of like eating big salads and drinking giant frappuccinos we were like making cappuccinos in our in our own kitchens and shopping in our own closets and that was a bummer and so here was this generation of young women that had been promised the Murakami bag. <laughs> and um, and all of a sudden, like, even going to college didn't seem like a big deal. And it's not that they weren't ambitious, but they just thought that it was going to be easy. And so suddenly it wasn't easy. And here's the moment that changed everything, that rather than make their circumstances make them feel small, this was a generation of young women who got mobilized. And that's one... In a year, I was asked to do probably a dozen speeches about how to get started in business and how to get ahead in the media business. And I was like, I have been in this role for five years. Why all of a sudden am I getting called to do so many speeches? Because that's what young women were hungry for, the key to success. And so it was like the the recession shaped this entire generation. Now, the sort of generation that's coming up behind them, the Gen Z have you guys talked about Gen Z on this radio show? No, but pl- actually, for those listening, and will you give the definition or sort of define the Gen Z? I mean, you have some Gen Z and some millennials, right? Kids? I do, actually. But you have five. No, three. Three. Okay. Three. So I've got 20 going on 21, 17, and 14. So I, right? I'm... Yeah. So you've got Gen... I'm in both. Yeah. You're Gen Z and millennial. Is, is 20 to 21 millennial, or is that sort of in between? I think it's 21 to 34, right? Okay. She's almost 19. No, all right, fine. 19. Sorry. <laughs> I just Sarah, I, you're a millennial. <laughs> right. But I do think that, so Gen Z, the teenagers, right. right? The new generation of teenagers, that this generation of teenagers is like millennial plus, plus, plus. That it's like they want to give back. They totally are interested in giving back in the world. They are incredibly plugged in and digital in every way, right? That they are um, eschewing all kinds of, like they couldn't care less about the mirror county bank. They don't care about status shoes. They don't care about those kinds of outward signs mm. of status at all. Um, and that's the hallmark of Gen Z. And frankly, you know, like it's a lot of millennials are sort of had led that change, right? The giving back is at the core of what young women want in their life, right? They want to make their life meaningful, their work meaningful to someone else. They don't care about shoes as much as it chagrins me beyond because <laughs> I care very much about shoes. They couldn't care less. They care about it. the new status symbol is the MacBook Air, right? They don't care about the Manolos. That the MacBook Air is a symbol that says, I am so powerful. I can work from anywhere. 
because you just tuck it in your bag and go. And, and you know, I think, and you say this in your book, what they value is experience. They want right. to to have adventures. They want to have experiences that are going to en- enrich them on a, for lack of better words, spiritual level. It's why Soul Cycle is so important. They don't want to just go to the gym, right? They want to work out and have right. a spiritual journey while they're doing it. Right. Amen. Why not? Yeah. Maybe that will that get you into the gym? Will that get you to Soul Cycle? <laughs> well, I fell off last time I went, so no. <laughs> but my daughter, so, my, so my, for those of you listening, my husband is here tonight also and just looked up with Soul Cycle. So my daughter and her friends, it is literally a spiritual thing for them. I, I wish I could experience that. I wish. I had something that would motivate me to go, but it's, it actually is for them. Like I, I don't even relate to it. I don't understand it. But it's so funny you just said that. Yeah, no, it's true. That's yeah. the that's the that's the difference. My daughter too. She loves Soul Cycle, and you know she wants experiences. She told me at the age of sixteen that she was the only person she knew who didn't go to Paris, who hadn't been to Paris. <laughs> Wow. What? <laughs> but this is New York City, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> That's right. But she, I mean, I don't know. When you when you went to Paris, I'm, I wanted to go shopping. I bet the last thing she wants to do is go shopping. No, she <laughs> she wants to go shopping. Oh, she does? Yes. Okay. She does. I mean, good. Yeah. <laughs> the world is safe a little bit. But it's, I, I think there's, it, it's interesting. I do think there's like a difference in mindset between Gen Z and millennials. Maybe millennials who are slightly older. Um, and it's interesting, before I came here, I was watching this video of a business manager talking about why it's such a challenge to manage millennials. I, ju- I sent it to you. I know, I didn't get to see it yet. Um, but he, basically, he says the same things, you know, all the cliches, and they're entitled, they, ex- you know, they expect praise for doing the, the, the least little thing. And then he says, I'm sorry to say this, but it's their parents' fault. And he says that it was because we praised them for everything they did, and we gave them a, a, a medal, even if they came in last. And, you know, they have this sense that they should be constantly rewarded. Yeah. And um, I, I feel like our generation, Kathleen, or, you know, Parents who are are Gen Xers read Carol Dweck and read that you shouldn't praise them; you should praise their effort. The, effort. the you know that praise thing was actually one of the hardest things when I was the boss of a team of mostly millennial women. Right? That that like here we were working incredibly long hours. The stakes were incredibly high, and things needed to get done. And um. You know, you don't always remember to say thank you or good job or like, and it really was the hardest thing. I could see some faces fall, but as a manager, I just found that to be like, just do it. We'll talk about it. It's great. You're doing a great job. I'll tell you if you're not doing a good job. (laughs) Assume it's good. Yeah. Unless you hear otherwise. Exactly. Right. Right. To be so, to be more self-directed, I actually think is one of those things as a manager, I would, I would advise millennials on. Right. Just be more self-directed. Don't worry about it so much. I mean, that's like, you know, I, I, I run a small business and I have to have people, employees who are self-directed because I'm, I'm so 
busy. Yes, I'm keeping I, her very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. No, I, I, I need people who are self-directed because I, I don't have time to, you know, really micromanage. I don't have a lot of time to train people. There is time is actually like the this the most amazing scarcest commodity these days of any for everybody. Everybody is pushed to their limit, right? Right. right. It's it's crazy how that happens. When you were seventeen, what was the um, for people who were working for you? What was sort of the age group that that was under you? Like, or, or was is that too? Was it very very? Um, I would say most of the senior staff were. Um, my age-ish. And frankly, a lot of them, here's one of those things that you don't know when you're starting out in the world is that the people you meet at your first job are going to be people that you're going to know for a long time. So a lot of the senior staff were people that I had started out with early on in my career, right? We'd actually started Cosmo Girl together and like moved up and moved around and then met again at 17. Um, and then a lot of the, you know, a lot of the more junior staff was, you know, it was the, it, women in their 20s, a lot of women in their 20s. It wasn't, um, it was a lot of people's first job, right? It was your second job. Yep. Um, it was a, it was a young staff. You needed to love teenagers and that feeling of being a teenager. And um, when I first went to 17, I described the feeling that I wanted everybody to create there. That imagine if you had eaten an entire sleeve of Oreos and and sucked down three Red Bulls. That was the feeling. That was the feeling in 2007 that I wanted you to get from reading the magazine. Now, that is not the feeling that I want you to get now from reading The Big Life. I feel like The Big Life, the big life should feel like you are curled up on the couch with a glass of Pinot Noir. Like that is the feeling, right? And maybe there's a fire, right? You should feel warm and, and comforted pizza. and supported. And some, and some yeah, artichoke and pizza. pizza. Yeah, 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 right. Barbecue chicken pizza. <laughs> um, but that was the feeling that I wanted to have. And so you had to be a chick in 2007 who could like get down with the feeling of eating an entire, not that we made you eat Oreos. Although my God, <laughs> let me tell you, like, I don't know if, if my kind of job, mm. the secret <laughs> of too. magazines is there are a phenomenal amount of cupcakes. We, they, I, every day, <laughs> every day there were cupcakes. I don't know where they came from. They just same, arrived all the time. Same with book publishing. Or Chris, it, back in the day, it was Krispy Kreme donuts. They were oh always God. around. Okay, I am so in the wrong profession. <laughs> and then it was Magnolia Bakery cupcakes. <gasps> oh, that is not Constantly. Constantly. <laughs> oh, darn. Yeah. I don't want to go to the gym. I want to change professions. Yeah. <laughs> cupcakes. Right. All the time. Um, so I have a question for you. So, so millennials now, so, so 10 years ago at 17 would have been the age group that we now define as millennials. Mm -hmm. If you had to draw, what would you say the biggest distinction would be, um, or, or similarity between the millennials of 10 years ago as opposed to millennials of today? Uh, I mean, I, they're smarter, they're more in control, they're, they're more... Um, they're actually in control, right? Like we, like you, ha like millennials are the bosses, right? They are the bosses, and they're they have this amazing. Um, do you know this turn of phrase? I don't know if I can say it. I D G A F. No, you can say anything you want, though. Feel oh, free. I can. What is it? I so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> pretty good right yeah. the idgaf attitude right and i love it because <laughs> that's a really hard thing <laughs> to hold on to 
Um, I wrote about the other day, I wrote about Kylie Jenner, who was just announced is the second highest grossing Jenner, Jenner Kardashian this year, which I think is pretty amazing, right? Because there's a big, there's a lot of money being made in that family. That's, she's the model. She's the youngest. Right? No, oh, the youngest. Kendall's oh, oh the Kendall's the model. Okay. And um, how? So she what, had a lip she, kit. She made a lip. Um, I mean, she's the one that has the full yeah, mm-hmm. collagen lips. Yeah. Um, so I met Kylie when she was 14. I think she's 18 or 19 now. But I met her when she was 14. And she rolls into a meeting with me with greasy hair, last night's mascara under her eyes, and like sweatpants and flip-flops. She seriously was like the epitome of IDGAF, right? She didn't care about me. She didn't care. She Her, her mom wanted her to be on the cover of Seventeen, but she didn't care about it at all. And I actually thought that was phenomenally charming. Like, I just thought to myself, like, here's a 14-year-old girl who is being 14. She's being she's being forced to come to a business meeting. But, like, she was actually being 14. And um, she's my favorite. I actually, like, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of hers. We put her on the cover. We did. I, she worked When she for, was 14? Uh, I think she might have been 15 or 16 at the time. We worked together for a while. She, she wrote a column for us. We did... Um, there, we did a, we did an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. We had a, we had a little partnership brewing mm. with them for a while. Yeah, it was awesome. It's awesome. It's amazing. The, those girls were amazing. But so, um, I mean, to me, Kylie. So you okay? So maybe think about it this way. So Kylie is sort of the new millennial, That's right. and right. Kim, Kim was was she's like she's 30s, a little older yeah, millennial, she's right? Again. She's right. the older yeah. end of millennials. So Kim grew up. I mean, it's so funny to say, right? Like. Kim, when she was best friends with Paris, Paris Hilton, Hilton right. was not showing her ambition. Was not She was <laughs> ambitious and making a business for herself in the background. But what she was putting on display was affluence and party girl, right? Kylie is like putting her ambition on display. She wants to make money. She's a yeah. businesswoman. She's created a brand. She's put her name on a product. And like... And it's hard. It's hard to like peel away some of those layers of glitz and glamour and Instagram and social media and controversy and the way they play with the media um, to see that. But but Kendall, who's the model, and Kylie are phenomenally ambitious, and they put their business first. I mean, that's actually something that Chris uh, Jenner said to me. She was like, "I love my girls. They love to work." And they do, and it and it's inspiring. Mm. So I think that that's a I think that's a good way to point out the difference, right? Yeah. A different and the different the difference in how you um, you position it. And when you define it that way, it is so inspiring to hear that. Like, because that's honestly not not being as familiar with them. That's probably not what I would associate with them because I don't understand what they do. But when you say that, it's incredibly inspiring. That at the age of fourteen, she sort of got it together and has done all this. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of, of Kendall and Kylie. I like them a lot. That is so cool. So i got to give you a quick 17 anecdote. So my daughter was an avid follower of 17, as we all were. Mm. And she won Hillary Duff. It was mm-hmm. on the cover. She adored Hillary Duff. She loved Hillary Duff. I think it was Hillary Duff. And so my sister I put Hillary on the cover. She I think she was the best selling cover. One of I think the she, one of the best selling covers huge I ever did. When she was on. Yeah. So my sister in law was gonna meet Hillary Duff and it was a big deal and she was gonna bring the seventeen 
magazine article to Hillary Duff, and she was going to sign it for Sarah. And this was just Sarah could sleep all night because Hillary Duff was going to sign. Not only was it Hillary Duff, but it was also Seventeen magazine, and it was just like the culmination of everything she aspired to. And Patty, my sister-in-law, never ended up meeting Hillary Duff, but signed it, Sarah from Hillary Duff. So Sarah got this thinking Hillary Duff had signed it and for 10 years believed that Hillary Duff had signed this 17 So why did you tell her? Well, I think my sister-in-law finally told her when she went off to college, it is framed up on her wall that Hillary Duff signed the 17 magazine cover. So I think when Sarah was, I think it was high school graduation that Patty was like, all right, I got to tell you. I didn't meet Hillary Duff. Oh man, <laughs> Hillary lives in Brooklyn. She, Can we? And she probably needs a babysitter. Can, does your daughter babysit? Yes. And Hillary Duff, would you please come sign Seventeen magazine? Yeah, let's tweet at her. Can oh, we tweet actually, at her? Hillary Duff stars in Younger. Yes. And the author of the book Younger is a friend of Morph Mom and has been on the show. So Hillary. If you could give me a signed 17 for Sarah, it would be the biggest thing ever. Oh, my gosh. You need to make this happen. Um, (laughs) I will get you a copy of that issue. And you can figure... I'll get you a new copy of that issue. And you can figure out how to get it to Hillary to get it signed. Hillary Duff, if you're listening, which I'm assuming, of course, you're listening to more fun moments right now. (laughs) I don't know. Why not? Hillary's a mom. You are a mom. And younger. uh, And and they star of younger, which all applies to more fun. Kudos to you, end of 17, because we need your signature for poor Sarah for 10 years. Thought my sister in law's signature was yours. Oh, <laughs> was yeah. <laughs> it's like telling her there's no Santa. Does, does, um, does Sarah want the big life? Yeah. You know, it's fun. Oh, wait, okay. Oh, we were just told we only have a couple minutes to left. Yes. Um, oh, one minute. Um, so, as I said, my daughter is a, at the younger end of the. Yes, she does. And, and you know what's fascinating is I think she and her friends believe they can have the big luck. Great. And they can. They do. I don't think there's any... I've never heard a conversation with them where they even consider that obstacles will stop them. They acknowledge the obstacles and they acknowledge that it's not easy, but it's it's in no way defining which direction they're going to take. It doesn't stop them or prevent them from still trying to do it. And that's why I think this book is so important and so significant right now because like this is a generation that can just kill it. They're going to kill it. They're so bright and they're smart and they're confident. And I think that this book will give them, you know, just that push that they need to know. Yeah, we got this. So for everyone tonight, I can't believe our time is up. I pray that Dee Dee and Anne will come back we again. Will. We will. Because right? it's really, yes. really fun. We'll have more wine, I promise. Great. And um, uh, so Anne Shokit, the, the Big Life will be out March 14th, but you can pre-order right now on Amazon. And Anne, just, um, and Dee Dee, if you want to just say how anyone can contact you or, or order the yes. book or whatever. Join, uh, join my Badass Babes newsletter. Sign up, annshoket.com, A-N-N-S-H-O-K-E-T.com. And um, come join the Badass Babes so that we can stay in touch. And every week I'll send you a quick little, um, you know, conversation starter. Or like me on Facebook. I'm at ann.shoket on Facebook. Um, and, that, and then we'll stay in touch. And we'll make sure you get the big life. And to order it, so amazon.com or on their website. Or yes, there's anywhere lots of books on my are sold yeah. online right now, and then after March 14th, it will be in bookstores across the country. I can't thank Dee Dee and Anne enough for coming on tonight. It was thank an you. honor. Thank you. It was so much fun. We have so much more to discuss. Yes. Hillary Duff, if you're out there, please remember what we need you to do. <laughs> um, thank you, thank you, thank you. They will be back. I hope. I pray. We'll be back. 
Um, uh, everyone, all listeners, thank you so much for listening in. It was a two-hour amazing night tonight. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening, uh, and we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Honorably in our nation's armed forces, and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them. And make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big-name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week. Fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film,